things in the New Testament in terms of our need here below is a statement that's repeated time and again, never alone, never forsaken. And the verse that I've chosen for the theme of this lesson this morning is Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse 5 and 6. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. And here's why. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. There's the confidence found in that realization that we're never alone, never forsaken. Now I've tried to put the lesson on the board in a way that you can get it and reminisce it, study it at home, but here is five points that we will discuss in the next few minutes in regard to this theme. He says, be content, for I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, when you think about it, that is a very comforting fact to know that I'm not down here alone. That we've talked, you know, many times about God working behind the curtain on the stage of life. He don't have to tell me all that he does. He don't have to answer to me as to what he does in my behalf. But I know from the scriptures that he's there and he's there to help and he's uh, very militant in his leadership of mine and your lives. And so with them thoughts in mind, let's consider a few things about Israel. Israel was not content. Now Israel in the Old Testament is a picture of the church today. So when we look at Israel in the Old Testament, Paul said those things were written for our learning. Romans uh, 10, 17. Uh, Romans, uh, it's in the Bible. <laughs> Romans 15, 4. <clears throat> what sort of things were written aforetime were written for our learning. The we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so when I look back to the Old Testament, why did God record uh, the ugliness of Israel? It's because we're looking into a looking glass, and that's who we are. And so we, like Israel, are not content many times. Look at Exodus, the 14th chapter, verse 12 and through 14. It says in this... Uh, uh, the Israelites stated, Is this not the word that we spoke unto thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? You see, <clears throat> at this point in time, they're <clears throat> by, the sea of God, uh, by the Red Sea. And here comes the army of the Egyptians on them. And they feared and quaked, and they didn't see God with them. 
They saw all of the deliverance of God in the ten-point correspondence course that God gave Egypt in the plagues that he brought upon them. And they didn't remember that. They didn't uh, call that to mind. Uh, all they saw was the Red Sea that blocked their path of escape. And so here they're crying out to Moses, did you bring us out here to die? We were happy, or we could have been content as slaves back in Egypt. <clears throat> for it were better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in this wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of Jehovah. Boy, there's a lot said in that statement. You and I have got to quit our jangling in life and our running for this and running for that and all of our busyness down here and stand still long enough to consider the goodness and the mercy and the uh, leadership of God in our lives. <clears throat> stand still and see the salvation of Jehovah, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Jehovah will fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And so Israel was not content. Uh, she was to remember her deliverance like you and I. Exodus 13 and verse 3, a chapter before this. Uh, it says, And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day, a day of deliverance. Do you remember the day you was delivered? you remember the joy that you had and the burden being lifted that weighed heavy on you in regard to your destiny, your sin, as a result of your sin? <clears throat> so he says, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt. Now, Egypt symbolized the world of sin. Pharaoh symbolized the devil himself. And they've been delivered by God as we were at Calvary. And so he says, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And that's what we were delivered from. Hebrews uh, For by strength of hand, Jehovah brought you out from this place. By strength of hand. By strength of His hand. And you know that speaks of our deliverance today. It wasn't by our doing. It was by God's strength of hand that we're delivered. He's the one that paved the way. He's the one that provided the nature of our salvation. It's His deliverance from Egypt. And so Israel was to remember this. She was to remember her deliverance. She was to look with anxiety toward home. And I don't know whether you've ever considered that or not, but we also are to look with anxiety toward our eternal destiny, our home. The day when Eden is restored and we can once again walk in the garden with God 
and speak with him and associate with him in face to face. And that she was to trust in God's providence in his providing for them. You know, we lose sight of that too many times, that God is a provider. Uh, and she was to remember that. She was to walk in the light in, in uh, Exodus 13, verse 21 and 22. The admonition there is... Uh, And so we're never alone 
We're never forsaken. Uh, <clears throat> so every Christian uh, should and can live out all his days with this promise. And so number one on the board there, the Lord is with every Christian all uh, together apart from his deservings and feelings, regardless of how you feel. Regardless of whether you deserve it or not, God is there with you. He will never depart from you. He loved you that he gave his son, don't you think, that with his divine power to create this heaven and earth and to create you and his power over the demons of this world, don't you know that he's on your side and there's nothing can harm you? <clears throat> God is with you when your heart is heavy and happy, when your faith is high, and when you're a downcast and discouraged, God is still with you. He hadn't abandoned you. He hadn't left you. God, and we'll see some examples of that. God was with Jacob as he fled from home and from Esau's wrath, his brother's wrath. And you can read about that in the 28th chapter of Genesis sometime. He came to realize God's ever presence. And he came to trust in God's providence. The Lord to provide. And then there's the case of Jonah. The rebellious prophet. He was sent on a mission and he fled from it. And he was not alone even in his fleeing from a commission that God had given him. God is there even in our rebellion against him. He's still there. He brings us back. He reminds us of our station and duty, and he encourages us and strengthens us. He's always there. God was pleading with Israel in Joel 2, verse 12 and 13. Yet even now saith Jehovah, turn ye unto me with all your heart and with uh, fasting and with weeping and with uh, mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto Jehovah your God for he is gracious and merciful he's slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and he repenteth him of the evil and so God is with us even in the turbulence of life and the difficulties that we face in our daily lives. He's there. When we're down, he's there. When we're up, he's there. He's always there as a help when we turn back to him. 
And so that was God's plea to Israel. Now you take Elijah, you read about him in 1 Kings 19. And it's kind of a humorous story about Elijah, the great man of God, the great prophet. And he had his dark day, as we all do. He had his bad day. He had presented the contest in Mount Carmel to prove who God was. And of course, I won't go into that. You know all about that. Uh, in his contest with the 450 false prophets of Baal. But then Jezebel, the wickedest queen that ever squatted on a throne, uh, under Ahab, her husband, who was king, she had put out a warrant for Elijah's life to kill him. And in fear he ran. Well, what man wouldn't run in fear of such a warrant uh, out for him? And as you read that chapter, you see the humor in it. He ran till he fainted in his fleeing. And when he woke up, there was an angel that God had sent. And the angel had prepared him dinner. And he's so anxious to get away from Jezebel and her death warrant that he gobbles the meal down, jumps up, and runs again until he passes out again. He wakes up and there's the angel again with the provisions that he needs, the food. He eats it unquestioning about this angel that's there. And he gets up and runs again. And he finally feels secure in this cave. And God comes to him in a still, small voice. He says, Elijah, what are you doing up here? This isn't what I commissioned you for. He said, oh, but Jezebel has a warrant out for my life. There's the fears that you and I face in life. Not realizing God's with you. And God said, don't you know? And Elijah said, I'm the only one left. And I fear for my life. And God said, don't you know that I have 7,000 men who haven't bowed a knee to Baal? And so Elijah took on the strength of God and went back to his task, his work, unafraid. We're never alone, we're never forsaken. And there's one example. And so, uh, he ran away from his ministry, his duty, but he couldn't run away from God because God was there. And so all in, uh, in all of his uh, swift running, Elijah could not run away from God. For all his discouragement and his bitterness, God did not forsake him. I've lived 80 some years and I've seen many discouragements and I've seen many times when I thought I was forsaken. And it takes the word of God to assure me that he, I will never be forsaken. There's a case of... Uh, David's uh, marvel and joy uh, was of this wonderful truth in Psalms 139, verse 7 through 12. 
David talks about how that uh, there's no escape from God. He says it this way. Whither shall I go from my, thy spirit? Now David's not trying to flee from God, but he's just making a statement here. Where, where could I go uh, to flee from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I abide, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. He was praising God for his provisions, for his leadership, and for his divine protection. And so you can see from that psalm of David that no circumstance, no distance could change the fact that God never leaves his own and he never forsakes his children. You got children? You don't forsake them, do you? And fatherhood comes from God. He's the one that instituted it. He describes himself throughout Scripture as a father with children. And there's nothing that can separate the father from the son. Number two on the board is the Holy Spirit dwells in the Christian always, and he never leaves him. Uh, that's 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God and you are not your own for you are bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's <clears throat> and then in Romans 8 and verse 9 Paul says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. But if you belong to God, his Spirit resides in you. He travels with you. He'll never uh, leave you nor forsake you. You're not alone. You're never alone. And in Romans 8 and verse 11, we find out that he's... Uh, he is there to quicken, to serve. The Spirit of God is. Uh, in Romans 8, verse 16, you read that He is there to uh, bear witness because Paul says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That don't mean that He's speaking to us as the Pentecostals would have you believe. It's not talking about that. It didn't say that he bears witness to us. It says that he bears witness with us. In other words, when my spirit joined and con 
conforms to the Spirit of God, then we're in total agreement. And the Spirit agrees with me that I am a child of God. It tells me, Merle, you've done exactly what God commanded to be born into his family. And the walk that you walk is the walk that he designed for you. And consequently, you're his children. And I know that by faith, by the word of God, by the Spirit of God. And so <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is there to quicken. He's there to bear witness. John 16, verse 13, he's there to guide you into all the truth through the study of his word. He's there to comfort you in John 15, verse 16. He's a comfort, he's known as a comforter. In life's way, there's many occasions when you need comforted. I'll guarantee you. If you haven't faced them yet, you will. And you need to rely on God. You need to recognize the 23rd Psalm. David stood very firm on his conviction that the Lord is my shepherd, he said. And in view of that, I shall not want. And then he describes the provisions of God. That he leads me beside the still waters. There's no turbulence there in the waters of God. He leads me beside the green pastures. He don't lead me to Benton City, the desert. <laughs> he leads me beside the green pastures. And he goes ahead describing how God restores his soul. And there's many times in life when you need restoration, I'll guarantee you. Life stomps the guts out of you sometimes, but it's for your good. The suffering in this present world is not worthy to be compared with the glory that we receive, Romans 8 says. And so there's nothing that can harm us down here. There's nothing that can hurt us in the final analysis of life. <clears throat> in, first, in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22, uh, and also... Ephesians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 5, and Ephesians 1, verse 11 through 14. I'm not going to turn over and read these passages, but it talks about the Holy Spirit. He's not only a, uh, he, he quickens us, he bears witness that we're the children of God. He guides us, he comforts us. And here in these passages, we're sealed unto God by the Spirit of God. How do I know I'm a child of God? By the Word of God. Yeah. By the Spirit's message through the written Word. I know I'm a child of God. I know He's with me. I don't see Him. Did, did you see Him anywhere? But He's there by faith. You know these balls in the front of your head are limited. You knew that though, didn't you? They only see the tangible things in life. But there's quite an activity going on beyond the ability of these eyes to see. But only a fool says, I don't believe it unless I can see it. I ran into a welder once on a construction job that made that very statement about something. I forget what the argument was about. It was my first day on the job, and I didn't even know this fellow, but I was eating lunch right alongside of him. 
And in their argument, he said, I don't believe it unless I see it because I'm from Missouri. And I couldn't help myself. I said, is that a fact? He said, that's a fact. I said, you believe your mother's your mother? He said, what's that got to do with anything? I said, just answer the question. You believe your mother's your mother? Well, absolutely. I said, how do you know? You didn't see yourself being born. You didn't see with these balls in the front of your head. Recognize that you understand things and you believe things based on the testimony of eyewitnesses. Because you got a doctor signed an affidavit, you're her son. You got your your dad said that you're her son. Your brothers and sisters, your aunts and uncles, your cousins, the nurse, and all that's involved in that arena of that day of your birth declares you're his son, her son. I said, so there is some things you believe that you haven't seen. <laughs> I never heard him make that statement again. And I've known him all these years since that day. I think he learned something there. At least he should have. Then we read in Ephesians 4.30 in regard to the Spirit that we can grieve Him and quench Him. But He'll not leave. He's still there. He's still there tugging through our conscience to reach in and get our attention. But we can quench the Spirit. We can dampen it. We can ignore it. And uh, that's the admonition in 1 Thessalonians 5.13. Don't quench the Spirit. Follow the Spirit's admonition, what God teaches you through His Word. Jesus said in John 6.63 that the words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit-giving and they're life-giving. So don't get this idea that God's going to talk to you in the middle of the night. He's not going to do that. He's already talked to you right here. He's already revealed himself and what he wants you to know. And we've already made studies that this word is complete within itself. It's complete for everything that we need. And then, number three this morning, the Father's love never lets go of His children. In Luke, the 15th chapter, and I know you've read it about the prodigal son. You remember that son demanded of his father his inheritance. And the father knew that the boy had to go out and learn and mature on his own. And so he gave the boy his inheritance and watched him leave home. God does the same with you and I. He watches us wander around in our stupidity as that prodigal son did. He went and spent his money on whores and living the riotous life of that day. And then the story goes ahead of how that that boy got to where he spent all his inheritance. He didn't have no more money. He lost all his friends because of no more money. And he's now 
working for a farmer eating slop with hogs. He don't make enough to even provide for himself. He's eating the slop that he feeds the man's hogs. It says it was in the slop pen that he came to his senses. Isn't that generally where we come to our senses, in the hog pen of life? Absolutely. We wallow around in wonder and tears. What's life about? What's, what hope is there? And there's always God there waiting for us, like the, the picture of the prodigal son and his father. And the text says that he returned home. He said, I'll just go home and tell my father I've sinned. And I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. Just, uh, But your servants eat better than I do. Just hire me as a servant. He goes back and the text says that the father saw him afar off. Do you know what that tells you? That tells you that every morning that father looked out the window and down the road. Because he knew that there was a hog pen for that boy. And he knew that that boy, after eating slop with the hogs, would return. God knows that about you and me, and he's anxiously waiting for our return. He's anxiously waiting for us to see the blessings that only he can give and to come back. And so he saw that boy far off. He'd been waiting anxiously for that boy's return, and here he comes. And the father was not like you and I are many times with our children because if that happened to you and me and our son came back after riotous living with all them whores and everything, we'd be right there like this. What are you doing back here? You come back to mooch off of me? No, that isn't the picture you get. The father ran out and fell on that boy's neck and kissed him. He put a ring on his finger, a sign of ownership. He put a, a, a scarlet robe on him, a sign of royalty. And hasn't God done that with us when he saved us? He put a robe on us of royalty. He put a ring on her finger, a sign of ownership. And then God anxiously looked back to the servants, the household that he he left a moment ago, and he hollered back, and he said, Kill the fattest calf, because my son that was lost is now found. That's the love of God for you and me. <coughs> and so the Father's love never lets go of his children. Jeremiah was God's final effort to save Israel. There's only one tribe left, and that's uh, Judah. Of all of Israel, there was only one tribe left at the time of Jeremiah. And he sent Jeremiah to him, the prophet. And Jeremiah foretold the destruction of Jerusalem as they were going into Babylon's captivity for 70 years for an attitude adjustment. But Jeremiah was not allowed to leave out of his message the love of God for Israel. Because in Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, he 
talks about the everlasting love of God for Israel. Everlasting, never failing. We won't turn over and read it because our time is is uh, going by pretty swift. Hosea, he was a prophet of God that was told to marry a daughter of Hordom. Uh, and that marriage with this uh, daughter of Hordom was to be an object lesson of the way God loved rebellious Israel. In Romans 8, verse 31 through 39, we see the unchangeable love of God. What should we say to these things? Verse 31. If God is for us, who or what can be against us? How is He for us? Read the next verse. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? You and I are God's elect. And no one can charge us with sin. Because you find out in the first of this chapter, Romans 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ. God sees no sin in us because he sees us through the blood of the sacrifice at Calvary. Who shall lay anything in the charge of God's elect? Don't you know it's God that justifies? And he's justified us. Who is he that condemneth? Don't you realize it's Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now Paul has a long list of things that we might think can separate us. Let's read through them. Shall tribulation, trouble, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Will God allow you to be in those situations? Yes, He will. It's for your good. It's for your development. He hasn't abandoned you. He's right there with you. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But nay, in all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor principalities nor powers, nor angels, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. <coughs> What a profound statement. The unchangeable love of God. In view of this love, we can well believe what He promised. That I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Someone wrote a poem that relates to our theme this morning of God's sovereignty over our lives. 
How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for you faith in the excellent word. What more can he say than you, uh, to you uh, he hath said? You who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, shall be thy supply. The flames shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to be consumed, and thy gold to refine. Even down to old age, all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love. And when hoary hairs shall their temples adorn, like lambs they shall still in my bosom be born. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. I don't know who wrote that, but I think it's glorious as it declares the truth of God's love for man. And so there's nothing that can happen to a Christian but by God's permission. This is his world and he rules it. He is the power of powers. And so there's nothing that can happen to a Christian but by God's provision, or permission. Excuse me. Nothing can last longer than God allows it to last. We're in good hands, aren't we? We have nothing to worry about. No incident can arise except uh, to the blessing of the lover of God. And that's what verse 28 of Romans 8 says. Uh, because he's promised all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. It didn't say all things were good. It said all things work together for good to them that love God. It don't work for everybody, only those who love God. Point number four, Christ ever lives to make intercession for his own and he never leaves us to our sin. He said in Matthew 28 verse 20, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. So why do we doubt? Number five. I'm going to have to skip a lot of the lesson. Time's already up. Number five. The Christian's eternal safety is guaranteed because he's never left alone and he's never forsaken. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have combined in their work to keep the Christian. The Father, 
leave thee nor forsake thee. The Son, lo, I am with you always. The Holy Spirit, John 14, verse 16 and 17, to guide you into all the truth and to comfort you. Never forsaken. Elijah, the prophet of God, was safe in the threat of Jezebel's as if the king's army was about him and he didn't know it. You and I have nothing to fear either of the Jezebel's of our world, of the fears of our world. The dungeons is freedom if God is there. Poverty is riches if God is there in your life. The Christian is now ready for all the darts that Satan can hurl at him, ready for the blackest night and the sorrow that can never can, can the worst sorrow that can ever come. And so there's no fear, uh, no need to fret about provisions. Rather, as our text said. Be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. What a theme throughout the Bible. God's protective care, God's provision, God's salvation, God's deliverance. God's strength, God's assurance. But we many times, like Israel, forget the day of our deliverance, the nature of our deliverance. And we begin to think that we're like Elijah, the only one left that serves God. And we're hiding in a cave. And God's been feeding us all the time waiting for us to come out of our pity party to reality. God loves us. God's with us. The lesson's yours while we stand and sing our closing hymn. <coughs>